Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Freedom Friday to you. This is Justina DeMarco, and uh, thank you for being so much on the call today. We actually have a special guest that, that I would like to introduce. Uh, he is a physician assistant and a health and wellness practitioner, and he's speaking a little bit today on the COVID issue as it relates to uh, medical professionals in the industry. And we are so fortunate to have him on uh, as a guest today with us. And it's Jeff DeNeo. Jeff, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Yes. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you so much for attending. And uh, yeah, so why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a physician assistant from Michigan. I've been practicing medicine <clears throat> for about 12 years now. Uh, I've worked in internal medicine, uh, orthopedics, and currently work uh, in an urgent care where we're doing a high volume of testing for uh, COVID-19 patients. So um, I've been blessed uh, to have uh, the job and career that I do. And, um, you know, I'm just here today because uh, I think I think it's time for the medical community to uh, speak up and not allow us to be uh, suppressed any longer. Wonderful, wonderful. And thank you for stepping out and really standing for the industry and also the people uh, that are on the front lines and are really fighting this or being more exposed to it than anyone else. So we appreciate that. And uh, how long have you been in the medical profession? So 12 years, uh, I've been a physician assistant. And then before that, in my undergrad, I worked um, as a phlebotomist and an ER tech, just getting my experience uh, to get into uh, PA school. So I've been in medicine probably a total of, uh, I would say, 16 years. Um, so I've definitely seen a lot and I've, uh, I've seen the trends of, of where medicine has gone. And uh, I can't say it's exactly a, a great place uh, where we have the autonomy that we once used to have. Good. Okay. We understand. And uh, what kind of empowerment do you get uh, from bringing wealth to people on their journey in life? For me, it's all about paying it forward. It's all about using what I have uh, learned through self-development work and then using my professional skills as a medical provider just to be able to um, bring whatever type of healing and comfort I can to other individuals. And one thing that I've learned throughout my career is that I spend way more time with people uh, and helping them with their, their mental health uh, issues than I do with their uh, physical health. And so for me, that's kind of the, the building block. That's the foundation to, um, to living a healthier and happier life is getting to the core uh, problem of whatever is going on with them. And that brings the most satisfaction to me. Great. And I totally understand that being in the health and wellness profession. I would agree. Everything starts in the mind of any of us. Uh, then it manifests physically and so forth. So that is very true. Yes. And when did you realize that you did have a passion for healing? Uh, I would say you know, when I was pretty young, I had a passion for medicine in general, probably like when I was 12, 13 years old, I was intrigued by medicine. 
Um, but I only knew a very small aspect of what medicine was. I more saw it from the standpoint um, of a practitioner of prescribing, you know, medications and helping people uh, that way. Um, but not really in the realm of the mental health and also looking at medicine for a more, from a more naturopathic um, way. And I would say about six, seven years ago is when I got introduced to an, a nutritional health and wellness company, which really opened up my eyes about how medicine goes way beyond just pharmaceuticals um, and how many, how many um, just natural sources there are uh, out there that this world provides that can heal the body. So it really has taken my journey in a different uh, path mm -hmm. to not only be able to help treat people with medicines, but also teach them about, you know, natural resources, supplements uh, that we have, you know, um, available to us. And then, you know, along with helping them with their mental health, kind of putting it all together and just giving people like a new vision for what it means to be, you know, a healthy person. Yes, absolutely. And I find that interesting because I think generally it's the thought that most doctors, nurses, people uh, within that realm will pretty much take the conventional side of, of things 100% and, and treat instead of uh, heal and cure. And it's refreshing to hear that, that you embrace the, the conventional side of medication and prescription and also take on a more of a natural holistic approach as well. So you em embrace both aspects of healing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that really started um, opening up my eyes when is when I really looked at what I was doing in conventional Western medicine. And it was kind of like we sit around and we wait until people are sick before we start helping them out. Um, you know, when I started looking into natural medicine and preventative medicine, I was like, geez, well, there's so many things that we could actually prevent um, people from getting if we just work with them on the forefront, you know, just even starting with their nutrition, like, why are we waiting until they're sick? And they need to go on blood pressure medication, or they need to go on, you know, diabetic medication for type two uh, diabetes. And then I started really questioning, geez, once we put people on these medications, the plan is never really to get them off, like they're supposed to be on these for a lifetime. So are these medications curing any anything? Or are they just kind of a band aid, you know, over the over the bigger problem that we're covering up? And, uh, you know, it's, it's really made me look at, you know, medicine in a whole different light. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good to hear. It, it's, it's just wonderful because I know doctors being it, like I said, in the same industry as you know, uh, who aren't really forthcoming as you in regards to that. And behind the scenes, I believe everyone knows that there's a better way. Um, but there are certain parameters that we have to live by in our professions and, uh, definitely, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, so uh, were there any key people or persons in your life that kind of uh, was very impressionable on you uh, to pursue this life path of, of healing and natural healing? Um, I don't know if there was an individual or a couple of people. It was more so I was immersed in a community of uh, people when I used to be with a, a, a nutritional company and when you're surrounded, you know, by a group of uh, people who are individual, you know, free thinkers and who are open to other possibilities, 
um, you know, it just, again, it, it broadens your mind because when you start surrounding yourself with like-minded people that are kind of on the same journey, you're all passionate about the same thing. You're all open to new ideas and alternatives um, because there's a lot of people out there that are tired of the conventional ways um, that medicine is, is performed. And when you can find ways that are, that are natural and less harmful, um, you know, I, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want, you know, to do that. And sometimes it's, it's, it's the more difficult path because it takes more discipline to do a lot of things to have to make major life changes. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's more freedom because you're not tied down, you know, to a medication that you have to take every single day that is making your body, you know, more toxic, more inflammation within it. And it, it always killed me when patients would come in and they showed me their medication list and there's 10, 15, sometimes 20 medications they're taking every single day and they still feel horrible. And I'm like, there's something to this. Like your body is not supposed to have to process all these chemicals. Like your, your liver and your kidneys are on overtime trying to process all these medications. And so to me, we're actually making patients more sick the more medications we're putting them on and we should be finding alternative, more natural ways to, to bring them off of it um, to help them feel better. Yes, yes. And that really goes along the lines of, um, you know, being proactive in our own health, which is a huge realization nowadays among many people. They're starting to realize that ultimately they, we are responsible for our own well, wellness and well-being. And I think that that's uh, wonderful. Even with traveling, you see different ways that you can travel and still eat healthy and uh, different like little equipment pieces that you can travel with uh, when you're on the road or on an airplane on your way to some other place where you can work out in your room and, and fix nice, healthy, natural meals that you can eat while you're out traveling. And uh, there's more and more of that. That awareness is really uh, coming to the forefront. Yeah, most definitely. Yes, and with the medications, and another, uh, I think, good point is um, when they're on all of these, like 15 or 20 different medications, and the compatibility factor comes into play, and they can receive, you know, medicine from this doctor, and then this specialist, and that specialist, in my own experience with clients, and some of those may not even be compatible, and that's another thing I believe that in your position, you have to kind of see what that person is taking. And is it all working together? Or is it working against them? Exactly. And one of the biggest, you know, problems is when you have multiple hands in the pot, the more, the more hands in the pot, the less communication that you have, you know, amongst each other. And so you could go to a specialist, and they put you on a medication, and then your primary care doctor, you know, doesn't know anything about it until months later when they maybe see you again and they're like, Oh my gosh, you shouldn't have been on this medication or people go for procedures all the time and there's no communication. Um, you know, there's just that, that's one of the biggest issues with, with medicine is we have this, you know, capability and technology of electronic medical records now, but yet every physician will have a different record system. So nothing communicates and, you know, we, we are not able to be on the same page. And, and that's, that's a huge problem because a lot of medical errors can be made um, just with simple uh, lacks of communication. I mean, it happens every year in the hospitals with deaths 
that one physician came along and did this and they didn't tell the next physician and then they did this. And then, you know, next thing you know, the patient's uh, in dire straits and uh, comes out worse, you know, than, than they did um, when they went in. Yes, yes. And that's real unfortunate, uh, especially being young. And when you see like your parents or grandparents going through this, and sometimes generation has to step up to the plate and be kind of the liaison or the mediator between all of these different dynamics. I've seen a lot of that as well. Have you? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, there's a, there's been a massive opioid epidemic in this country for a long time. And it wasn't until recently where it started to become uh, more mandated in all the states where if a, if a patient had a prescription for a narcotic filled, it went into this database system. Um, but the, the old system, when I started medicine was so antiquated that when a patient got something filled, it could take five days or a week for it to show up in the system. So you would have people who were abusing and they would go from one doctor to another to another. And even if you looked it up in the system, it wouldn't show um, that they got it filled. So these people were getting five, 10 prescriptions filled for narcotics. And before you know it, they had over 300 um, pills and nobody knew it until it finally showed up in the system You know later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was, this was a huge problem. And now at least in Michigan, they've updated it. So it will show uh, literally the same day when somebody gets a prescription filled. But again, that was another lack of, you know, communication. And that should have been something from the very beginning that we, we were putting, you know, some of the most harmful and addictive medications into people's hands with no accountability. And we we're just passing it out like it was candy. And, you know, then you saw on, on the backside of, of all this, what happened and the people that became addicted or died from overdoses. And, uh, you know, a lot of this could have been prevented from the very front. Yes. Now that system delay for sure um, is a, a major factor and seeing what's really going on. If something isn't being updated for four to six weeks, they could have seen, you know, three or four other doctors or, or physicians for the same medication. Yeah, that's, that's pretty alarming, actually. Yeah, it is. And, you know, <laughs> it's something that it's getting a bit better. People understand a little bit more based on everything that's happened. But we, we created this culture of everybody thinking that if you're, if you're not feeling good and you have a little bit of pain, you know, that the correct thing to do is take something to get rid of it. Um, but it was becoming more than that. And people just wanted to start to feel, you know, more numbed. And so for me, I would have to have the conversation with people of like, listen, pain is not a bad thing. Like pain, and this is kind of, you know, in all aspects of our Mm -hmm. life, right? It's not just physical pain, it's mental, emotional, like, yeah, it doesn't feel good to have physical pain. It doesn't feel good to have emotional pain. But the last thing we should be doing is numbing that pain and pretending that it's not there by taking a pill or, you know, drinking alcohol or any other drug. It's there for a reason. It's our body's way to tell us something is Mm -hmm. wrong and it brings your attention to it. You need to focus on it. You need to pay attention to it and you need to fix it, not just cover it up. So, you know, once you have that conversation with people that were coming for pain medications um, it, it opens their eyes up like, oh, I guess pain isn't, you know, a bad thing because 
what happens if I have an injury and I take a medication, I can't feel it. And then I go and I use it more and I make it worse. Like the outcome potentially could be worse than it was when you first came in. And once people understand that because we're communicating and we're educating them, they have a better idea. And this is where, you know, we need to come together in general where we're not just throwing things at people, take this, do that. It's like, let's educate you. Let's tell you why we're doing this and why this is a better alternative than, than, than this other option. Yes, yes, indeed. And pain is our friend. And that's something uh, that I've come to understand and what I communicate as well. It really is. It tells you there's something wrong with the situation and uh, it's not going anywhere. It's going to begin to intensify if it's not treated. And as you stated, uh, not treating the symptoms, but the actual core reason, what's underlying in their body that's causing the pain in the first place. Exactly. I, had a, <clears throat> I always like to use this analogy about a wound. Uh, a wound, if you just take a Band-Aid and you put the wound over it, or you put the Band-Aid over the wound, and you kind of just leave it alone, and you try to forget about it, you know, because the Band-Aid's covering, you don't have to look at it, you don't have to deal with it. Well, what happens is that wound never gets air to it, and that wound um, stays, stays moist. And so when it stays moist, it's not able to heal and it's going to prolong. And, and, and if you don't allow that wound to heal, that wound will actually become deeper and it will go down into your body further. And then you're setting yourself up, uh, for infection. I just had a patient the other day who had stitches put into his foot and he came back and he had the same bandaid on that he did when they put the stitches on and it didn't heal the skin was still the same way than it was when he got the stitches. And I, you know, and I explained to him, I was like, listen, you can't cover the wound. The wound needs air. It needs to breathe. Otherwise it will never heal. Um, and that's just the way it is for, you know, our life in general, you have to be able to air out whatever it is that is painful to you physically or emotionally, because the more that we put the bandaid on, the deeper the wound gets, and it's going to turn into something much worse and if you just dealt with it right away. Right. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yes. And Jeff, what are some of your most gratifying experiences? Like if you were to share like a testimonial or a, a time when you felt really good about what you did for a patient, can you think of anything that you'd like to share with us and how that made you feel? Yeah, you know, I've... <clears throat> I've helped a lot of people in different ways physically, um, which is great. You know, if you can give people back some type of quality of life um, better than where they were before they saw you, you know, that's, that's definitely, um, you know, good. But to me, uh, I get the most gratification out of helping somebody from the emotional uh, standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> I, one of my most memorable experiences was probably in the last three years uh, I had a patient who was, who I was seeing them for a car accident they were involved in, but she decided to uh, open up to me about how she's a, a three-time cancer survivor. And I could tell, oh, and the cancer had just come back. And I could tell that was weighing on her more than the accident that she, that she was in. So I, I had the choice. I could either brush that off and just focus on what she came to see me for, which was the accident, or I could deal with the emotional pain that she was, she was suffering through. 
uh, with having her cancer return. And I decided to do the latter and deal with, you know, the cancer. And um, I'm a Christian man. And I, I kept feeling this voice telling me to pray for her. And in the medical field, this is not something you're taught to do. Mm-hmm. It's something actually that, you know, goes against traditional uh, teaching. You keep that out of it. Um, but I felt compelled. And it was amazing because I almost walked out of that room without praying for her. Um, but I couldn't. I turned around and I prayed for her. And I had only met, I think this was the first encounter I ever had with her. And she started crying. And she got very emotional from this. And I just hugged her before I walked out. Again, something you don't typically do is hug your patients. But it was a moment that I will never forget that had a profound impact on her that she probably never had. And she may never will have another doctor, medical practitioner uh, ever do that for her again. But to me, that touched me, you know, and I went back to my office and I started tearing up after that because it touched me more deeply than any encounter I've ever had with a patient. And that's really what mattered because I showed her that I cared for her far beyond what she was there to see me for, for her car accident. Yes, that human touch. Uh, that's something that we should never get away from, uh, regardless to what profession or what we are, our walks in life. And that is definitely so gratifying when you can pray for someone or, uh, hug them, or it's just amazing what that does for them and how it, it taps into a deeper part of them. And in industries like ours, of course, we're taught that's not regular protocol. You don't pray for people unless it's behind the scenes or, you know, and and hug and and things of that nature. So probably the second time I've heard that second or third time, I've actually heard a physician or a physician assistant, uh, a nurse, anyone in that field say that they actually prayed over a patient and hug them. I mean, in a doctor's facility in a hospital type of facility, um, and to hear that is just amazing. Thank you. We we appreciate that. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So uh, we've all heard about COVID nineteen, obviously, and the effects that it's had on our society, our world, our general morale, uh, confidence level among the people. The list just goes on. Uh, with regard to the medical professionals. What role do you feel that you all are playing in this whole, uh, the lives of of human beings and uh, how to make this a different outcome, if if you could? Yeah, so um, there's obviously a lot going on besides, you know, COVID. And there's a lot of, you know, racial tension. There's political tension. There's tension with police. There's all this tension going Mm -hmm. on. Um, and from a medical standpoint, um, it's easy, again, for us to just look at the problem, right, the virus, but, and, and just focus on that. But it's another thing for us to step out and look at people, again, as human beings and their emotions. And I can tell you, and I'm sure the majority of the people out there listening to this can tell you the emotional toll that this is taking on for people is way larger than the physical toll of the virus. And so by us not giving people any type of, of hope and by us distancing you know, ourselves from each other and, and, and wearing these masks, and, and, and while yes, masks are important for the virus itself, it's also creating a way larger dynamic 
um, of interaction between people. And so if we only focus on the science part of the virus and, and curing it, but we're, we're not paying attention to the mental health side of things, we're doing people a huge disservice. I mean, you've heard from many uh, mental health professionals that the suicide hotlines have gone up 600% since COVID started, you know, depression. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of patients in my clinic for anxiety. Um, they just can't handle, you know, everything going on. They're worried. They're worried about dying. Um, and this is a, this is a much bigger, you know, issue that I'm seeing than the actual, you know, the virus and, and what's going on. And so as, as a medical professional, who in the beginning when things were really bad and you saw a lot of, you know, deaths and cases here in Michigan and, you know, in New York, um, you were, you were seeing health professionals being touted as heroes, right? There was all these signs going on, hero, 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 hero. And then all of a sudden, because there's medical professionals that are saying, Hey, I'm using this treatment and I've treated X amount of, of, of people, uh, with this treatment and it's working, those people are being silenced. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this, this is mind boggling. And first of all, you know, I'm not here, I'm not claiming to be an expert on hydroxychloroquine. I'm not here to claim and I'm an expert on COVID-19, but I'm here to stand up for the medical professionals to have a voice and, and to not be censored. And beyond that, the American people, I, I think are being, are tired of being censored and being told what they're allowed to hear and not hear. Like, that's that's the bigger issue to me. How are we touted heroes in one moment and now we're villains and liars and fakes and frauds in the next because we're sharing uh, our personal testimonies of what we have found that works. Like, we're actually giving people hope that not as many people need to die. Um, and, and, and people, there's just a certain group of people that don't wanna hear that. and. Um, I just read that one of the doctors that um, was on that video that Facebook took down, she just lost her job. Wow. Like, that's insane. That's insane. And so it's an intimidation thing that's going on right now. And it's trying to silence the medical professionals. But actually, this is a time where it's our license at the end of the day. We're the ones that, that have to write and order the vaccines. We're the ones that have to write and order the medications. And so... I think at this point, we have been pushed to our limits where we're not going to be silenced anymore. And I hope the medical community as a whole will stand up and push back because we've seen the way that medicine has been going for a very long time. We used to have a lot more autonomy, but now our treatments are predicted by insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. And so we're not able to treat a patient based on our best uh, medical training that we have had. And, you know, medicine is a science and it evolves and it changes. And you learn things as you go through your career and you might do things differently than you used to do. But at the end of the day, if we're doing something that we feel is in the best interest of a patient and we're doing more good than we are harm, our hands should not be tied in doing that. But instead, what's happening is we're being used as puppets. And as long as we go along with the treatment that other people want us to uh, perform, it's okay. But if we want to do something against that, 
we're villains and then they discredit us and people are losing their jobs and they're tearing their personal lives apart. I mean, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, and how such a short period of time we went from hero to villain. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's just on one hand, you're a hero. And just on the other hand, you're just kind of a pond. And, and like you said, you've got your hands tied. You, you're a professional you know what you're doing. You have knowledge and experience. That should supersede any other decision. Yes, most definitely. And the only comment I'm going to make about <clears throat> hydroxychloroquine <clears throat> is that for a short period of time, the FDA had made uh, hydroxychloroquine a treatment for COVID. And so doctors were ordering it. They're treating patients. Again, I have never had to use it because I haven't had any patients sick enough that actually needed it. But I've talked to other people who have. I've watched videos of various doctors from all over the country use it and have amazing things to say about it. But I know as of now, because it's considered an off-label use, that if I have a patient who is elderly and has risk factors and they have symptoms and they're even tested positive for COVID, that if I write a prescription and send it to the pharmacy, that pharmacist has the power to reject my prescription and the treatment for the patient because it's off-label. So technically they can use the argument, well, it's off-label, there's no indication to use it for this, and they have the final decision. So they have now put the power into the hands of the pharmacist and taking it away from the physicians who are actually seeing, treating, diagnosing the patients. And this is where the frustration is coming through in the medical community because we have never, ever seen something like this before where for one medication that has been around for over 65 years with a very um, good safety profile, it's used every day by people all over the world. Some places it's over the counter. And I think um, we had discussed that just this year, there was about 41,000 prescriptions yeah. for hydroxychloroquine that have already been written. And we're just a little over halfway through the year. What does that, what does that tell you? A medication that has been found to be so safe is being completely demonized for the first time in its history. Yeah, that's astounding. That, that is very astounding. And uh, those are facts. Uh, I've done a little research, as you know, and uh, definitely it's a very highly recommended drug uh, to treat or you know, counteract any type of, uh, you know, certain viruses. And uh, it's been on the market for over 60 years. And all of a sudden, it's not healthy. Well, if it's, you know, being prescribed to over 40,000 people, and we're halfway through the year, which would typically you're looking at about 100,000 plus people by the end of this year. How can that possibly be a dangerous drug? That just astounds me to even think that that is now an issue. And we're not going to discuss that, of course, but yeah, that's a very, very major um, a contradictory, uh, I would say. Yeah, so how do you feel this whole uh, pandemic has affected the confidence and morale of medical professionals who have uh, proverbially had their hands tied and in their respectful capacities. How, how, would, how does that look for you or feel for you? I guess we'll start there. 
yeah, I mean, it's really frustrating because, you know, the majority of medical practitioners, and there's always some, you know, that are the outliers that have different agendas and, you know, they may be out for money or whatever, not, but the majority of health practitioners are here because we truly care about people and we want to do what's best for people. So it's basically, you know, it's kind of like you think about, you know, say a plumber and the tools that they have to go to do their job to help fix people, you know, whatever issues they're having at their house. But you're like, oh, that tool that you need to help fix that problem, we're not going to let you use it. We're going to, we're going to, you're, you're going to have to figure it out some other way. Even though we know we have a tool for you that will help you fix that person's problem, we're taking it away. What do you think is going to happen to them? They're going to be like, this is ridiculous. Like, what's the whole point? Why, why am I even going to work, you know, to even try to help people with a problem that I have a tool to help them with, but that tool is being held back from me. And that's where we're at right now is that we have tools to use to help people that are being withheld from us. And it's, it's, it's very frustrating because if we don't do something, it's not just going to stop here. This is kind of a precedent that if they have this power now, what's going to happen in the future? Mm-hmm. And the power needs to be taken back from people that aren't the medical decision makers. You know, I don't know what people anymore, cons- what they deem somebody to be, a a quote unquote expert in a field. Mm -hmm. But to me, it doesn't mean your title. It doesn't have to say you work for the CDC or the FDA or the WHO. To me, an expert is a person who each and every day is treating someone for a particular problem. And they're coming to you and they're saying, listen, I use this and it's been working on my patients. Like, that's an expert to me. I rather listen to someone who's on the front lines each and every day rather than listen to someone on the news or somebody who works for the government for a big organization. I'm going to get my, my facts and my truth from the person who's actually in the trenches uh, each and every day. And that's what I think people, how they're looking at it now is they're like, I'm done listening to, you know, big government officials. I'm done listening to the media. I care about what the doctors who are on the front lines each and every day treating the patients and they're having specific outcomes. That is what gives me hope. That's truth. I'm going to believe them because there's so much skepticism right now because each and every other day there's new developments, new changes, wear masks, don't wear masks. Now, yesterday I heard um, them, one of the officials, which I think we all know say, uh, now you need to wear goggles, protective eyewear. It, it's like, it's, it's just completely uh, insane at this point. And so the majority of medical professionals need to stand up because I know that our voices will outweigh these individual people if we come together and we say no more of this. We are not going to let you demonize us. We're not going to let you silence us. This is what's going on. We're the ones on the front lines and we need to take back control. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and where do you foresee this going moving forward? Uh, No one knows the future, obviously. Do you think that the actual, uh, the process will be put back into the hands of the medical professionals? Or is it going to try to kind of be this way moving forward? 
Uh, what would be your professional opinion on that? I mean, honestly, when it comes to big organizations like the, you know, American Medical Association or the American Association of Pediatrics, you know, a lot of times they're very hesitant to speak out against certain things for, you know, political reasons, for funding reasons, whatever it may be. So to me, I think this may end up needing to be a grassroots movement where just individuals, you know, start coming together uh, and forming, you know, a bond of, of unity to where we're just like, listen, this is what we believe in. This is, you know, what we will tolerate. And this is what we will not tolerate. Because at the end of the day, we have a lot to lose. Like these are our licenses, you know, and, and if we can't believe in the Hippocratic oath of being able to take care of patients and do what's in their best interest, mm -hmm. then we're, we're just as big of frauds as anybody. Because we cannot just be uh, an extension of the government or an extension of whatever agenda it is and just go along with what they want. Cause then we're going against who we are and what we believe in and what's best for our patients. And so this is, this is a massive uh, issue right now that's coming to a head. And I truly believe that people aren't going to stand up for it anymore in the medical community and they're going to come together. Yes, yes, the community would have to be a, a community-based, not so much a movement, uh, but to develop advocates for our medical professionals. I think it would really begin there uh, as a collective. Yeah, I mean, you know, I personally, you have to go, when you go into medicine, like a lot of people think, oh, people yeah, in medicine, they make a lot of money. Yeah, some people do. But the thing that you have to understand is it's not just like sitting at a desk job <laughs> and nothing to take away from people who do that. But what I'm saying is it's emotionally exhausting because you are putting your patients before yourself. So, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing and you're talking to patients all day and you are absorbing what's going on in their life. And again, it's, almost never just about what they're there for physically. There's always something more going on emotionally. And so we have to put ourselves into those positions and we do it because we care deeply about people and we're investing ourselves, you know, uh, in people. And so, you know, to treat us just like, you know, if we don't go along with what you want, um, you know, there's deep relationships that are formed, you know, a lot of times be between physicians and their patients because their patients, it's a very vulnerable state when a patient comes to see me, like they're trusting me with, you know, their health. And, you know, if all you ever do is you just treat them like a subject and let them go, like they're not, they're either not going to come back or go see someone else, or they're never going to really trust you. And so there's these deep emotional bonds that are formed because you're helping them out and you're pouring into them, not just to help them physically, but emotionally with whatever, you know, else is going on. And so, you know, for us, we don't go into it for the glory. We go into it because we want to make a difference in people's lives. We want people to feel better. Um, and when you mess with that and you try to take that away from us and silence us for being, for being who we are, 
and why we went into medicine, why are people, what's incentive for people to go into medicine anymore? If you're basically just going to be, you know, a puppet of some other larger agenda. Right. Yeah. That leads me. I was just thinking the same thing. How do you think this would, if you could foresee, um, people who want to be a doctor or a nurse or uh, a phlebotomist at, in whatever capacity they choose to go in. How do you think this can negatively affect their inspirations or aspirations to get into the medical field with their passion, putting their heart on their sleeve? That's usually why most people get into the medical. Uh, our younger generation or those who are intending on going to college uh, to possibly become a, a doctor to see what's going on now and to think, you know, this may not be here when I'm ready to go into the field, uh, this freedom to help people. Yeah. I mean, if I was, if I was back in college right now, or if I was in high school and I was thinking about going into medicine and then I, then I turn them on the news where I go on social media and I see these doctors who are standing up there you know, pouring out their hearts, talking about, you know, helping patients. And then the next day I see these people being demonized and torn apart, you know, their personal lives. And now people getting fired, like, holy cow, what, why would I want to get myself involved in something like that? Like I was going in this to like, to help people. Um, and that was taken away from me. And then, geez, if I speak up for myself, you know, I could get fired or they attack me or they attack my family. And, you know, it's it's really sad to see what's going on for people that are just here to try to help people at the highest level, you know, basically that you can you you could help somebody, um, you know, it's going to deter a lot of people. And until the current medical community starts standing up and showing that they won't tolerate it there's not really incentive, you know, for people to go into it, to endure that when that's the culture that's being promoted right now. Like we need to be able to, to go into work every day, still wanting to care for our patients and providing the best. But when our hands are tied and when there's other people telling us, you know, you can only do it this way and you can't do it that way. Like there's no incentive um, for people to go into it. And I know that medical schools have been hurting for the last 10 years, they haven't been able to push out as many doctors. And there's lots of different reasons for that. But then you add this on top of it, the amount of, if you think about it in the United States, the amount of student debt that these kids come out with, hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt. And then you have, you know, decreasing reimbursement to see patients. And then now you have this, you know, this other stigma of you can't stand up for your, pa for your patients, you can't speak out um, against anybody because you'll be discredited, um, torn down, you'll be fired. Like <laughs> it's, it's making it harder and harder to entice people to go into medicine, to spend all of those years in school, all those hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt that you come out, come out of it. Like what's, what's the upside. And as of right now, there is no upside. And if we don't change that culture and what's going on, medicine is going to change for the worse. Yes, that, that shift, that, that is just to know that medical professionals, it's highly regarded. You guys save lives. Um, 
you know, help people with their health. And now it's come to the point to where that has been uh, taken over and governed by other entities. Yeah, that's pretty scary. It's, it's pretty scary. Yeah, it's very scary. And the scarier part is a lot of it, you know, is people that are non-medical people making medical decisions. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the scariest part about it. And that's, that's something that I saw <laughs> more and more in hospital systems over the years is that it used to be a board of, you know, doctors who were the, the CEOs and the officers of the hospital. And now it's more just corporate companies and corporate takeover non-medical people making decision, uh, medical decisions, deciding on, you know, what's best. I was working in a hospital and they wanted to get us the cheapest supplies for the patients. Um, they weren't taking care of their patients, you know, as well as they could have been. It was all about money, all about cost. Uh, I had found a medication to help reduce people's pain um, and get them out of the hospital quicker after having surgeries. Um, I presented all these medical studies to, you know, one of the heads of the hospital. And because there was this person on the board of pharmacy who didn't, who just said, well, this costs more than a pill of this. They didn't want to do it, even though it was best, the best thing for the patient. We had great outcomes. It was amazing. And that's when, at that point, I was like, I don't ever want to work for a hospital again, because the, the politics and just doing things based off of, of cost and, and these business decisions. And I, I get that hospitals are businesses, but at the same time, we still have to look at medicine as what is the best treatment option for a patient. And when that gets taken away from providers um, to do that, and it's all about cost, we are basically telling patients you don't really have much value and worth other than how much money we can make off of you. We're going to get by with doing what we can, but we're going to do it at a very cost-effective and very cost-effective manner. And as a provider, again, that's so frustrating when you're like, but I know this works better, but because there's people, non-medical people making medical decisions, you don't have that option. And uh, it's, it's very frustrating. Yes. Well, this has been very enlightening. Uh, like you said, it is a grassroots uh, thing that's taken place. There's a lot of different shifts and different dynamics that are going on right now, especially in the specifically the medical professionals uh, to know that this is going on. And you don't hear a lot about it because it's being suppressed, of course. Uh, but for patients to get involved, I believe, actively get involved, and the communities coming together to support our medical doctors and, and nurses and everyone who's on the front lines of seeing these people, I think that that's really where the difference is gonna start. It might not be next year or, or moving forward, no one has the answer to that, but I think it's going to be more community-based uh, than to sit around and think that something's gonna change from the top. Yeah, definitely. And this is an opportunity for, for patients, um, you know, just not just medical providers to rally around, you know, their doctors and rally around their local medical community and, and you know, and just say, like, listen, you know, we value our medical providers. We want them to be heard. Like the last thing you want is the person who you are putting your life into their hands to be suppressed and not speak up about, you know, what they think is the best option, you know, and 
And so this is going to have to start like, you know, from, from the ground up and community come together, rallying around your doctors and, you know, uh, hopefully it becomes uh, a national, a national uh, movement to where we have a voice and we say we are not going to tolerate this because ultimately we have control of our own bodies and people can choose what, what they want to put in it and what they do not. And if we don't stand up as a whole community, medical providers and patients all together, we're, we're not going to have a voice. And if we don't have a voice, we can't expect uh, change. And that's kind of the place that we're going down right now. There's a higher, a higher power that's wanting to control outcomes um, and, and, and voices. And uh, that's not why we're here in the United States. You know, we're here to, to have our, our freedom of speech. Um, and we can't allow that to be suppressed. Yes, absolutely. Well, this has just been a wonderful, a wonderful discussion. Um, we're so happy that you were able to come on and share with us from your heart everything that you're sharing right now. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't have the courage to speak out as you are doing with regard to your profession and what's going on, because a lot of people, honestly, as you know, are not aware of this. And I, I honestly, I didn't think that it was a, a big of a deal as it actually is to see what's going on behind the scenes, uh, not just among the patients, but how the doctors are being pushed back in this whole process and basically taking the humanity out of it. It's all about the bottom line in a lot of cases. And we all, of course, know businesses need to, um, you know, watch their money and their income and outgo. But when it comes to saving lives, that's just a different story altogether. And for you to come forth in this manner is um, being highly appreciated. Just want to let you know that. Now, uh, Jeff, are there any other enlightening words uh, that you would like to share with the listeners today? Um, you know, I just want to say, you know, after watching the <clears throat> people getting torn apart the other day for coming forward and, and, and talking about treating patients, um, you know, honestly, and I shared this with you when you first asked me to do this, I was like, yeah. And then once I started thinking about it, I started then thinking about, well, geez, if I do this podcast, what's going to happen to me? Could I be potentially, you know, uh, attacked, you know, because I'm speaking out? Is someone going to try to silence me? Is somebody going to come after my family? You know, all these things come through my head, which is really sad. And, and I feel that there's a lot of people right now that have so much anxiety and they're, they're suppressing their own emotions and feelings because they're worried about the exact same thing of, of being attacked. So I think we're at an incredible time in our history um, to where this is, this, is, this is a moment where people can come together and unify and just look at each other again as human beings. Don't look at each other as a mask or as you know the virus or anything other than just human beings to where we can connect. And I know people are, they're just striving for that. They're lacking it. You know, we talked about the, the, the power of just a hug, mm -hmm. like how many people out there haven't had just, you know, a simple gesture of affection of a hug and they want to feel like they're seen and somebody like cares about them because people are so distanced and emotionally disconnected right now. People are hurting inside badly. So if we can come together love each other, love always wins, love prevails, we can take something that has been so dark and make something really beautiful uh, out of it 
on the other end. But we can only do that with unity and loving each other. That is beautiful. Absolutely. That right there just kind of sums it up right there. And that's really where it starts and uh, with humans, you know, and, and that's the way that it should be. Uh, so how can you be reached, Jeff, if anyone has any questions or want to make any inquiries, maybe more on, on a private level, uh, how can you be reached? What is your contact information? Yep, so they can reach me on my email, uh, which is jtd114 at hotmail.com. Uh, and I will be more than happy to answer any questions or, or talk with anybody. Um, and, you know, just be there uh, as a shoulder or be there as a voice for, for whatever it is that they need. Great, great. Well, we appreciate you being here and speaking with us and giving this information of enlightenment. And definitely, uh, we will have your information in the comments below. And if anyone has any questions or concerns, uh, you know that you can um, inbox me as well or Jeff, uh, this is something that's very open yet private. So feel free to reach out if it's you, a family member, or something that you would just like maybe an answer to a question or a concern of yours, feel free to do that. This is what this podcast is for, for health and wellness, for well, the well-being of, of humanity. That's why we're here. So feel free to do that. And uh, thank you so much, Jeff, uh, for being on our podcast today. And we hope that you have a wonderful weekend and rest of your day. Okay. Thank you very much for having me. It was an honor. And uh, just my message to everybody is just love one another. Wonderful. With that being said, yes. Yes and yes. Okay, Jeff. Well, we will um, speak later. And again, if anyone has any questions, reach out to Jeff or myself. And the contact information will be on this Facebook page below in the comments. Okay. Have a good weekend, everyone. And thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.